Welcome to the Early Career Moves Podcast, the career strategy podcast for BIPOC folks in their 20s and 30s trying to figure out their next career move. I'm your host, Priscilla Weninger Bolcha, Latinx career coach, former talent recruiter, and human capital management consultant. Each Friday, I'll share an actionable tip to help you on your career change journey so that you can job search with confidence, land amazing job offers, and get on with your life. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Early Career Moves podcast. Today I have a very special guest. I have Hope Timberlake on the show. She is a speaker, trainer, and communications coach who helps emerging leaders master high stakes and everyday communication. She's the author of a book called Speak Up, Damn It, and the subtitle is How to Quiet Your Fears, Polish Your Presence, and Share Your Voice. Hope gives us a lot of really great food for thought communications tips to consider, especially for women and folks from underrepresented backgrounds. So really excited for you to learn from Hope and apply some of what she's teaching us as soon as this week and even today. All right, y'all, let's get into the show. Hey, Hope, welcome to the show. How's it going? It's going great. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, really appreciate it. So I'm really excited to have you on today's episode to talk about your book, Speak Up, Damn It. So I would love for you to introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you, your background, what you do, and then tell us about your book and why you decided to name it that. Yes. Okay. So thank you for having me. I am a speaker, a trainer, and a coach focused on persuasive communication skills, particularly for those who are not yet leaders in their organization, nor look like leaders in their organization. So I'm all about how can we share our voices, amplify our voices, and eventually become the leaders that change the landscape of business. And the title comes from this. So the reason I wrote the book is I spent many years of my career coaching leaders at the top of their game. And in the book, I joke that they were all pale, male, and stale, which is (laughs) completely accurate because I'm in Silicon Valley and the leaders were not all pale, but they definitely were all male and they definitely (laughs) weren't all stale either. But the point is we didn't have many women. We didn't have enough diversity. And I wanted to have a book that would take all of the learnings I was giving to these leaders with these big budgets into something that was really accessible and low cost so that people could get the same learnings that the leaders were getting with big coaching budgets. So the name comes from this. One of the things I notice when I work with women and some men, but I see it more predominantly with women, is a tendency to over-explain or add apologies, I'm sorry, or qualifiers, I just think this, or I haven't done my research, some version of that. Or on the other hand, there can be those people who say a statement, but they end it higher than they start. So they might say, I spent five years in finance. Or I have this idea. And so it sounds like a question. So the title of the book, Speak Up, Damn It, is an exercise. And so for all of your listeners, if you're not driving or someplace where you can't do this, if you make a fist with your hand and as you are speaking, you say the term, speak up, damn it, and you end the damn it with your fist pounding against your desk or wherever you may be, maybe the dashboard if you're at a stoplight. 
And the idea is we want to end our statements strong as if you are punching out your end of your sentence with a damn it, which is not to say you should say the word, (laughs) but you should be thinking that way. So I am qualified for this position. Damn it. I have valuable experience that could be an asset at your organization. Damn it. So that helps you say concise and end as an assertion, which is not a negative word. It's not aggression, assertion versus asking for a favor. Like I have valuable experience. So that's where the title comes from. Got it. That's so cool. And I love that you are working with folks that are not traditionally represented at the top of levels at companies and organizations. What made you decide to work with that niche? I'm assuming you started first with leaders, like you mentioned, and then moved over to a different group. So what made you decide to make that transition? Well, if I'm completely honest, and I haven't shared this much publicly, but I always have been interested in working with women leaders, but I was scared to do so, partly because there are difficult questions that arise. A lot of questions around, does that mean I need to be more like a man? Are you coaching me to be different than who I am? I'm authentic to me. You know, Shouldn't I be valuable with the characteristics and the communication style I have? So I wasn't confident enough to know how to handle those questions. Two things have happened. I've just had so many more years of experience. So I've seen what can and cannot work. And I feel more confident, but I felt very driven to shift my career with things that were happening. Let's call it 2015, 2016 in the political world, in the social world, Me Too movement. I'm not even going to get specific about politics, but there were enough things happening in our world that really made me angry. And I thought this is, you know, we need to have more equality and more diversity in all segments of the world and teaching in, in healthcare, but the, my my domain was business, and it was no different than in Hollywood or in in on Capitol Hill. And I just thought we really need to have more better representation at the top. So I put my fears aside and my years of knowledge into effect. And I don't have all the answers always, but I feel much more able to help address and empower people, both from the mindset place, as well as from the communication style, their persuasive style, the content and the way in which they speak. Yeah. So you mentioned the word authenticity a little earlier, and this comes up a lot, especially with women, but also folks from different historically marginalized backgrounds, BIPOC folks. There's this misconception that if we strategically think about how we want to talk about ourselves or promote ourselves, then we are not being authentic. And there's a lot of resistance around that. At least I've seen that definitely with my clients where there's a lot of resistance around like, why should I have to do that? Can't I just show up as as how I am today? There's also a lot around, you know, shouldn't it be enough that my work speak for itself? Why should I have to talk about myself? Have you seen that as well? Yeah, this is such a big question. This alone, you and I could talk on for an hour. And the well, a couple of thoughts I have. One is I when people tell me this, I'm going to the harsh answer first. When people tell me this, I like to build enough rapport and enough trust that we can get real, real, really quickly. And I want to make sure that it, that explanation is not a form of hiding. 
And I say that because if someone comes to me and says, in my culture, we don't do it this way. And then we try to mine through our minds, mine through our experiences, mine through what we see on the web. Can we find someone in your culture, you know, whichever culture that is, that does do that and does it well? Is there an example because in some subsets of communities, there really are very few. Usually we can find someone and let's talk about that person. What does it look like? How do you respond to that person? How do others respond to that person? I don't think any of us can go through life wanting to please everybody, no matter where, from what vantage point you sit in. But I want to make sure that we're not using the, what's been true in our culture, in our family, in our communities as a reason to not expand, get uncomfortable, stretch, or what I call hiding. So that takes some pretty big introspective work and reflection. And it's really scary to think, well, I don't want to be the one who's different. I don't, you know, we, we don't want to be the only, you know, that there's a, a high psychological price for being the only in a business setting or in any setting. But I do want to dispel the notion that because it's always been this way in my culture, in my community, among my, that it has to always be that way. So that's the first thing. And that's deep work. In addition to that, talk about your future authentic self. And that's not my term. I will I will credit the author Herminia Ibera, an amazing woman of Spanish descent. She has written a book that I am forgetting the name of right now, but her name's Herminia Ibera. And, and in it she talks about her the future authentic self and how if we can focus on where we want to be in five or ten years, that what will feel authentic to us in those five or 10 years, that's where we should aim right now. That's how we should act right now to get there. And it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to stretch a little bit. It's going to feel vulnerable, but that is the way of getting to our dreams. Right. It's called act like a leader, think like a leader. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. I'll add that to the show notes for sure. So, you know, one thing I was thinking about as you were talking is just in this world that we've been living in with remote work, a lot of us are oftentimes on calls where we're not really even using video, right? We're just kind of listening to what people are saying and it's mostly auditory based. And this has become such a big part of our day-to-day norm that we're all often just listening to people speak when we may never even meet them in person. We may never you know, actually get to know them and and be able to see their nonverbal communication. And it just makes their verbal communication almost like that much more critical. And what do we do as humans as we judge people? It's not necessarily positive, negative judging. It's just, it could even be neutral, but in the workplace, it's almost like that is all we have to go off of is just someone's voice and the way that they communicate how they use their words. And it's really interesting how some people have this really like powerful commanding voice that immediately asserts power or conveys confidence, but that may not even necessarily be true, right? Like someone who may sound a little more nervous or shy or unsure of themselves may be just as competent, but oftentimes we're making judgments based on the way that someone communicates. And it's really just perception-based. It's not necessarily on the way that someone works. Right. And here's the bad news is that 
often the first things that come out of our mouth in terms of our tone, our style, or the content can be that first impression that lasts. Of course, we can override it with time and with building trust, but it is important. These small things, like you said, if we're not, if you're interviewing and the recruiter says, okay, great, let's have a phone call because they're tired of Zooms, then we really need to think about how can I pause rather than say um or ah? How can I pause to end my statement strong with that? Damn it. How can I sound warm? It's not. It's not simple, but it's also not hard either. As long as we have some intention intentionality around it. Okay, let me look at one thing that I could do to sound appealing. And sometimes that requires audio recording and listening, which people hate, myself included. The way we hear our voices is very different in our heads than in a recording. Or asking other people for feedback. And the prompts that I would use for asking for feedback, how warm do I sound? And why? And how strong do I sound? And why? And every leader, every effective communicator, I believe, doesn't matter who you are, where you are, what age you are, what racial background, what ethnicity, what anything, to have a balance of warmth and strength is universally appealing. So the warmth can come in the idea of, oh, the voice is flowing or it's not jarring and that sounds warm. And the strength comes from you say clear statements and you don't over explain or you don't have filler words. There could be other reasons why we sound warm or strong or, hey, you would sound strong except you say or ah or you know every other statement. So then if you get that feedback, you practice with your friends and family of I'm going to pause more often. I'm not going to, I'm just going to try to take more breaths, be comfortable with a little silence. And then when I get on that call with the recruiter, I'm just going to breathe and think I can pause. I don't need to fill this space because filling this space for some people sounds like, oh, you know. Yeah, I'm definitely guilty of that. It's something you have to intentionally work on. Otherwise, we'll just you know, go back to your habits. So one thing that I wanted to go back to was just the setting of the interview room or in networking environments. Inevitably, at some point, someone's going to ask you, hey, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Or will you just give us a little sense of your background? Sometimes it's formal, sometimes it's a little informal. What are some of your tips that you have for my audience members who are getting ready to answer some of those questions? Yeah, I have two concrete tips that I can share right now. One is around the your mindset of being of service. And what I mean by that is how can you increase value in the world? How can you increase value to this person, to their company, to them as individuals or, or organizationally? And when you come in with that framework, it's easier than to craft the message in a way that doesn't make you feel self-conscious or bragging because you're thinking, how is my experience, my knowledge, my interest, my passion, how education, whichever, how does that help this other person or her organization? So starting with that piece of it, then you think about what is the statement I want to say that helps that organization? So it might be something that feels tangential. 
it's a tangent. Uh, I'm having a hard time on a Friday saying the adjective ver- version of tangent. But the idea being, if you want to say, you could go through like your whole list of experiences, but what you'd say, you could decide what this person needs or what the organization needs is someone very flexible. Because right now, companies are shifting a lot. There's downsizing. They're doing all kinds of things. So if instead of me saying, I've worked here and here, you say, the key attribute that I provide is ability to be flexible with the situation. And that can benefit because I've noticed that you as a company have gone through lots of iterations and reorganizations quarterly, and I am excellent at going with the flow, adapting, and being flexible. So it's twofold. It's having that idea of like how you're going to benefit them, Having a succinct statement around my asset, my attribute, my key selling point is that I'm flexible and then drawing it in of, of how then draw it out like that impacts you, that benefits you because I see that every quarter you've been changing your, your team structure and I can help you with that. Yeah. I really like the idea of creating a bridge between what the employer needs from the candidate or the person they're looking to hire and looking at it from a lens of how can I help you get there as opposed to self-aggrandizing yourself, going on and on and on about how great you are, that maybe isn't super relevant to the problem that the employer is trying to solve. Yeah. And here's the little secret. It sounds so obvious. Sometimes I call these things common sense, but not common practice. And one of them is that we as people, no matter what our role is, we want someone to help us make it easier. We want someone to meet our needs because at the end of the day, we're all burned out. We're all tired. I mean, hopefully not everyone, but you know, there's a life is hard right now and it's been hard and it's not probably getting easier anytime real soon. So if you can make that conversation, if during that conversation, you can show how you can meet a need and help them in a way. It's not, it's not being a kiss ass, but it's more like genuine. Where, what do I have? What do I possess? What have I done? Who am I that can help meet this person, make this person's situation easier or their organization more successful? Ooh, that's, that's really good. <laughs> that's really good. I love that. So let's talk about nerves. Everyone gets nervous. Most people get nervous when they have to present to a large group of people at work. You know, for public speaking, I think is one of the biggest fears that we have as humans. This can sometimes really paralyze a lot of candidates during the interview process, especially if you are a little rusty, you're out of practice. Even networking chats can bring up a lot of nerves. What are ways that we can kind of take some of that pressure off to get a little more comfortable in these scenarios that feel so high stakes. I think the evolved part of our brain logically knows we're not in danger, but our animal part of our brain goes into fight or flight mode. And sometimes it can even be hard to reason or think logically. And we even forget, like we forget what we were going to say because we get so caught up in fight, flight, or even freeze. I would say freeze is probably the most common one that I see in in interview settings where your mind just kind of goes blank. Is there anything that you suggest to try to help people move out of that in the moment? Yes. 
when we are thinking as a reptile, we're not going to bond very well or show up very well. So yeah, I think that the first thing is to humanize the experience. So think about the person that you're connecting with, whether it's online or on a call or in an in-person networking event, if we're doing those at all, is what, how are you similar to this person? I mean, you know, from a very basic level, we all go to sleep. We all need food. We all put on our clothes the same way. There's some commonalities, but there's other commonalities too of we all want to find purpose. We all want to find value. We want to find connection. So thinking of it from a human level, too often the nerves come from this crazy magnification of us and self-critical focus around Mm -hmm. I'm not enough. Who am I? I didn't do this right. I look weird. I I don't know what to say in this chat. They asked me a question. I answered it stupidly. We are really expert at coming down on ourselves. So if instead we think, okay, I wonder, getting curious, I wonder what this person is looking for. I wonder how we could connect. Okay, maybe we're online. I wonder where they live, what they like. You know, What would we do if we met up for a lunch? Would they want to have Thai food? Would they want to go for pizza? Getting to a place that sounds so silly, but is really important for humanizing the experience of let me get curious and let me think about them as a friend, potential friend, colleague, not as a weird power differential where I am lame and they are all powerful. Yeah. And you know, you just made me think of this study that I recently read about where if you grow up in an environment, in a home where you didn't receive a lot of that positive feedback, maybe people didn't look into your eyes or smile at you, then you are more likely to really read into other people's facial expressions in a much more negative way. So if you didn't receive that positive feedback, even if someone's face is neutral, as an adult, you're going to see it as more negative. And I've noticed for myself when I'm coaching someone or I'm interviewing someone or I'm being interviewed, there's this part of your brain that disconnects a little bit as you're speaking and you're reading into the person's facial expressions. And then there's part of your brain is like, oh my God, this person probably thinks what I'm saying is so stupid. And what's interesting is that Some people, when they listen, they have a very super serious face. So I personally struggle with that a little bit when I'm speaking and someone has a super serious or detached or even like they kind of grimace a little bit, right? And I've realized over time that like that that can just be someone's processing face and I don't need to read into it and think, oh my God, this person totally hates what I'm saying. Because more often than not, once I stop speaking, their face kind of like comes back on online and then they engage and like smile and they're like, oh, like that's really interesting. And then, then you're like, oh, there's the positive feedback that I needed. But I think we have to get comfortable with not relying on that and being able to keep ourselves engaged at our best selves without that external validation. What do you think? Yes. No, I think that's exactly right. Is recognizing even when we get some weird feedback, 
is thinking, okay, I think this is my inner critic raging right now. I'm guessing, you know, or just get curious. Huh, I wonder why they made that face. That's so interesting, like without judgment attached to it or without jumping to conclusions. Absolutely. Okay, so my last question for you, what is one thing, one piece of advice that you have for my audience who might be in the job search process, who's trying to improve their communication What is something that they could actually try today, tomorrow, something actionable that could help them make a difference? Yes. No, I don't think your listeners are going to like my answer. And it reflects something I said earlier. But truly, those of you listening right now, if you want to really up-level your communication, you can do it in 10 minutes, but it's not easy. It's what I said earlier about recording yourself and listening back because you will learn so much. I've been doing this now over 15 years and almost every time that people go back and listen, two things happen. The first thing is they say, oh my gosh, I hate the sound of my voice. I hate it. And so I said, okay, great. Let's listen to it twice because I get it. It's jarring. And then the second thing happens is they say, oh, that's so interesting. I thought I was rambling, but I wasn't. But I had no idea that I say, you know, every other sentence. So the way in which we hear ourselves and once versus how when we hear the evidence, it's so different what happens in our brain than what's really happening. So if you can take five minutes, whether it's recording a, a conversation you have with a friend, or if you're able to record a meeting that you have, some version of recording where it's not something that is memorized and rehearsed, but you speaking, you explaining something, you giving your career pitch, you explaining about your history of working or something to someone, you record it, you go back and listen. It's not comfortable, but you will learn a lot. And there are good things in there. And there are a couple things that you'll know, okay, that's so fascinating. Now I need to work on not saying, you know, and the answer to that problem is to pause more often, get comfortable with silence. That is great advice. And I'm definitely going to schedule time on my calendar to do that because I, after doing so much podcast, so many podcast episodes, I'm definitely aware of my own filler words. And I've noticed that different people have different filler words that they hold on to. And it's good to have awareness around it. And you don't really have awareness until you listen to yourself and you can kind of have that moment where you're like, oh, okay, I didn't realize I was a, a you know, person or like a, or you know what I mean type person. So it's good to have that awareness. And if there's anything that's a theme from this episode, it's also just getting curious about it rather than judgmental. Oh, I'm curious what I do. And it's not, I'm going to beat myself up. I can't believe it. I'm so terrible. It's more like, huh, that is really interesting. I knew I said, you know, I didn't realize I said it 12 times in three minutes. Okay. (laughs) Good, good information. That's right. Great. Well, Hope, thank you so much for being with us today and dropping all of these gems. How can someone get in touch with you if they want to work with you? How do you work with people? Like, how can people get in touch with you? Just share all of the things with us. Yes. So I love to connect with people on LinkedIn. In fact, so it's Hope Timberlake. And when you connect with me on LinkedIn, and sometimes people will message me and say, I have this issue, I have this problem. 
Often what I'll do with that is I'll create a video response that I send to them. And I often post it on my site without saying who gave it to me. So they know and I know, but nobody else knows. But it's usually if it's a question that's come from someone, other people have the same question. So there's that on LinkedIn. My website is hopetimberlake.com. If you want to continue to practice, the book is Speak Up, Damn It!, and you can find it on my website, hopetimberlake.com or Amazon. There's an audio book and an ebook and a physical book. But I guess I'm always, my goal is to serve. So I'm always happy to help, even if it's not through a coaching engagement or buying the book. Just reach out to me and I'm happy to answer some questions. Thank you so much for listening today. Make sure you head over to ecmpodcast.com slash free course and sign up for my free job search training course. I teach you the three things that you need to know before you go into a job search process. My goal is to help you change careers with confidence and ease so you can move on with your life. I'll see you next week.